If you're visiting with us this morning or happen to have missed last week, uh, we began a new sermon series last week, a topical sermon series on the topic of work. Topical meaning that we're going to take this subject of work and in six different sermons look at different ideas about it. The first three raising more questions or concerns and then hopefully the last three answering and directing us in answers. And uh, for that tomorrow, this morning, continuing that series, we're going to look at the beginning book of the Bible, Genesis, and two different texts, from one from Genesis 2 and then a few verses from Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 1 describes God's creation of all things, and Genesis chapter 2 continues that discussion, focusing on God's uh, creation of man and the responsibilities and roles that we as humankind have. And as a part of that, and Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, chapter 3 goes on and explains, as I'll elaborate on a little bit, that indeed they did disobey that command and eat of that tree. And in that, God ends up cursing first the serpent for tempting Adam and Eve, then Eve, and then Adam. And Adam is where he addresses uh, work. And so I'm going to read the curse against Adam as described in verses 17 through 19 of chapter 3 of Genesis says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned last week, we began this new sermon series on work, and we did so looking at a couple of texts from the book of Ecclesiastes, that book of the Bible that is searching for meaning in life amongst so much of what seems meaningless. And we saw how it explained that, that work often feels meaningless, feels meaningless when we labor and toil year after year for something and then after we die have to pass it off to someone who that who knows how they will respond to what we've worked to develop and build it also talked about a, a similar problem that if you don't have anyone to work for sure you might be able to keep for yourself all of the wages that you've earned but you're not working for or with anyone. And there's meaningless and purposelessness in just working for your own self. And in looking at that as part of the problem of the text, we didn't want you to just think about despair and frustration, but you're supposed to start asking questions. Well, where can we find answers and how can we find meaning and purpose? Because some of you said, in looking at those texts, you're like, yes, I relate to this. 
I've had those jobs that just felt meaningless. I've had those days, those seasons where it just didn't make sense. It didn't feel like I was doing anything productive. So as we start to look for answers, well, how do we address these problems and struggles with work? I could imagine and did imagine that one of the ways that you might be tempted to think about work is, well, work is appropriately a four-letter word. And it probably is given to us because of the curse. That it's something that is a burden completely and, and we are so looking forward to when we won't have to work anymore. When our, our life is at an end and so is our labor. And in that temptation to think that work is entirely a product of the fall, I thought we would look at these texts from Genesis. Now, the first thing that I should point out in connection to this is that's mentioned in, in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 2. If we would have started earlier, we would have read that, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It's important, I think, to highlight and recognize that in the work that God did of creating the heavens and the earth, sun, moon, stars, day, night, light, plants, animals, dry land, and humans, that that is described as God working. That this was his labor that he put forth. And, and in that work, as we learn from chapter 1 of, of Genesis, after every time that God made something, he paused and he looked at it and he said, that is good. And then when all of it was done and human beings were made, he looked at all that he had made and he said, it is very good. And after all of that work that God did was done, not only did he rest, but then in the resting of his labor, we are told in Genesis 2.15, the beginning of our text, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, from the start, I think it's important to recognize that where we live on this side of the fall, that our understanding of what work is, our experience of work is completely tainted by the fall. The fact that we live in a broken world, and because of that, I think it can be hard to imagine, well, what does good work look like? What did Adam and Eve have to do in paradise, in this garden of Eden that is described as work? How would we even understand what work would look like before the fall? And because we only have a, a few words here in scripture, and we have to admit that there is a little bit of speculation, imagination, and drawing from the clues of the text that we do have, but I think we can help us to develop some ideas of what work would have looked like or what was being described as work in this text. And, and first of all, we recognize that since God was the creator of all things in his work, and, and since as humans we were created in the image of God, our working is a reflection, it is an image bearing of our working God. 
Now, I, I do at times have to remind people that when it describes human beings as created in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we look like God or that God looks like us, that he's got two arms and two legs and a physical form similar to ours. That's not what it's talking about. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. But what it is talking about is that of all parts of the creation that God made, human beings image, imitate God's character and his attributes. And therefore, as God is the one who created and sustained this world as image bearers of God, we share in that work. This is seen most clearly in what is often called the cultural mandate. It's given in Genesis 1.28 where God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And in that we recognize that as God was the one who was Lord over all and had created all things, he's now sharing that governance, that authority with human beings. And he said, I made this world for you, now you care for it. And that is what much of our work is. So as God is a creator that, that designs and organizes and develops and delights in what he made, we get to be creative people. And we can do this as students by understanding and exploring God's world. The physics of how the universe is held together. And the science of biology and how our bodies work and animals' bodies work. And, and the chemistry where we can design and develop and understand how atoms and chemicals work together to make new things. And, and we, with God, can delight in his creation as we use the aspects of his creation to develop and to grow and to, to create with him. We can do this artistically. That as our God is a God of beauty and design and diversity, we can delight in artistic designs and beauty as well. When God is a God who nurtured and cultivated plants and animals, we are called to be caretakers of the land and the beasts that roam the planet with us. And connected with this idea of the cultural mandate, we develop culture. God created us to live in relationship with him and with others. Loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so the call of work is to work to create space where we can love God and where we can love and support one another, where we can do things together and celebrate each other's gifts and talents and encourage each other in the life that we are all called to live. Work from studying to raising our children, to caring for a garden or delivering mail is about connecting and bringing our culture to our world. But when you look at the actual words described and analyze that, you learn, I think, what is probably most important about this command to work and to keep. And that was to protect this space. 
You see, those same words of keeping and, and, and protecting or, or, or guarding are words that were used to describe later on the work of the priests in the tabernacle first and then in the temple, that they had a special responsibility to protect that space, to help keep it holy, to make it a space where people could interact with God. And in many ways, as commentaries highlight, the Garden of Eden is like the first temple. It was this space that was designed where humans could interact with God. And so when God gives the command to work and to keep this space, in many ways he is saying, guard this space. You are my creatures, and this is the world that I have placed you in. And the way that you are going to thrive and grow and develop and live best is by living according to my commands, my blessings, and my restrictions. And that's what we see in this text. There is a, a restriction put on the commandment. Early on, before the fall, they're not guarding or protecting against intruders or outside enemies. In essence, they're protecting it against themselves. Themselves with this temptation that they will have to disobey God's commands. To go outside of those bounds. To violate his will. And so they were to work to ensure that this space, this relationship with God was protected and preserved. And again, as they protected that space, they would thrive and they would grow and they would be blessed. Now, there's a lot that could be said about and, and speculated on about what all of this work looked like originally. However, don't miss this main point that I want to make about all of this and the reason why I chose these texts. And that's the idea that work is not a consequence of the fall. Work was and is an original part of God's creation. He didn't create us to laze around to just relax in life and to be taken care of. No, he created us to use our bodies, to use our gifts, to use our skills from the very beginning. It's part of who we were created to be. To highlight that, there's a comment in the ESV study Bible on verse 15. I couldn't help but read. It says that since this command comes before Adam's sin, Work did not come as a result of sin, nor it is something to be avoided. Productive work is a part of God's pur good purpose for man in creation. But as we said, and as we know, all of that changed when the fall took place. When human beings failed to protect that space and when the serpent tempted Eve and, and then she went and got her husband together, they both ate in violation of God's one command of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The effect of that was that God first cursed the serpent, then he cursed the woman, and then he cursed the man. And because of what Adam does, the very ground is cursed. Now, instead of work being an opportunity to delight in the creation of God, that work was going to be frustrated and difficult. In particular, the text mentions the growing of thorns and thistles, these invasive elements that, that hinder and choke out the crop that we want to grow. It mentions pain 
and sweat that will be needed in order to be productive and to eat and to provide for our families and for ourselves. Now, once again, whole books have been written on the effect of the fall and how the implications for our work. And again, there's just a a lot that could be said on this, but let me highlight a few ways of how the fall affects our work. And, And we see it everywhere. First and foremost, this explains our frustrations of work. It's because of the fact that we live in a fallen and a broken world, because of our sin, that's why work is so difficult. From the weeds that grow to the loss of crops or animals to diseases, to the difficult workers that frustrate us and make our work harder because they're competing against us rather than working alongside with us, to just those bad days where we wonder, is this worth it? at all. All of that is a result of the fall. And often as we want to say, curse the ground because it's producing weeds and curse the way that things are are happening and all of these frustrations, instead of blaming the ground, there should be an opportunity to reflect on us. And remember that it's my sin, it's my fault that these frustrations have been introduced to this world. It's not the ground's fault, but it's our sin. Furthermore, if work was intended to cultivate and guard a space where we can know God and serve him, using our gifts and delighting in what he made, The problem comes when all of those frustrations turn our attention from God just onto ourselves. And then rather than working for God and for his delight, work just becomes strictly a utilitarian thing. We work so that we can live. We work for a paycheck. We work so that we can thrive or or be uh, applauded. And then in those frustrations of work, we allow those frustrations to distract us from the God we are meant to love with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and and our neighbor, and we focus on just ourselves. And this is the temptation we often fall into when rather than living and serving our wives and our families, work overtakes too much of our lives. That our relationship with God is hindered and hardened because we're too focused on on what needs to be done in work. We're, We're so busy with work, we don't have time to study God's word. Time to come to church. Time to do devotions and pray. And that just snowballs into the next effect where work becomes our identity. This is where we find our value. This is where we find our source of pride. This is where we compete for the attention of others, which is why when we aren't working, when we get retired or we have a hard time finding a job, we like, well, what is my purpose any longer? And the curse of work makes our identity about what we can produce, and it feels purposeless and useless We become consumed 
And then rather than blessing each other, employers have abused or enslaved others so that they could use their labor for their own blessing as well. I could go on, as I said, it's so easy to allow work to consume who we are and neglect what we're supposed to be. And going back to the meaningless of Ecclesiastes from last week, what we recognize is the meaningless was introduced because of that great problem of death. Death, that ultimate consequence of sin as explained in our text. And this is our world. This is what we know. This is, this is how hard work is. It's distracting. It's painful. It's draining because of our sin. So the question is, well, what do we do about that? Again, is this just an invitation? Well, that's how it is. Accept it and deal with it. No, not at all. Instead, I hope that this message will encourage us again to do two things in response. The first thing that I hope that we can all do is to get the idea that, that since God created us to work and calls us and calls our work good, is to look for and to find the ways that our jobs, our work, can reflect those original intentions that God had for that work. So instead of focusing on the frustrations and the difficulties of work, can we instead focus on how our work can be used to cultivate God's creation and to show love toward others and to bless them? To try to focus on how our work is a, an opportunity to use the gifts and the talents that God has given to us. To focus on how our work is used to serve God rather than just to earn a living. And maybe, most importantly, to start to work to destroy that wall that we have created between work and worship. God created that Garden of Eden, that space where they could serve him and know him and grow in their relationship with him. But after the fall, we have created this wall of separation between work and worship. And worship is only something that happens in this place for an hour, maybe if we're really good and holy, two hours on Sunday but the rest of our lives is focused on work and, and it's the call, the invitation to destroy that wall and recognize that when we go to work, our worship should continue. As the famous brother Lawrence said, that we recognize in all that we do, no matter what it is, even in scrubbing dirty dishes, that God is still present talking to us, inviting us into a relationship with him. And so the encouragement is to think about how work, our work, was designed by God and can be used by God toward his original intentions. But the other thing, that second thing I want us to think about, is not just what God intended for work from the very beginning, but is also to think about how work can be redeemed. There's another part of our text that I, I kind of thought about including but skipped over. But it was in the curse that pronounced, was pronounced against the serpent. That first curse. And the very end of that curse in Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is rightly seen as the first promise of the eventual coming of the Son of God to set things straight. Whereas immediately after, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and brought down God's creation in their sin and tainted everything from that day forward, immediately God brought forth a promise that he was going to fix what they broke. And as the space of this garden was destroyed and they were kicked out of the presence of God and where an angel was placed to guard that garden instead of humanity. In another garden, many, many years later, on a Sunday morning when the disciples and the followers of Jesus went and found an empty tomb where they expected to find a body, they recognized that Jesus had done the work of redeeming this sinful and fallen world. That because of his death on a cross, not a death that he earned because of sin, he bore the wrath of God for our sins. And with his resurrection from the grave, he promises us not only a new life eternally with him, but a new way of living in this world now. And that is the invitation and in how to view our work. In our work, how are we a light in a, hurting, in a hurting world? How do we point people to the hope that we have found in our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, and the great promises that he has given to us? How while they find work to be meaningless and frustrating, we can work with purpose and hope because we know the promises and the comfort of belonging to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, as I said from the beginning, our first three sermons are going to focus on the problems, the difficulties. And in a fallen and broken world, it's very easy to focus on the curse of work, the difficulty, the frustration, the pain, the sweat by which we labor, and to be consumed by our work. But as we strive toward finding meaning in our work, remember we were created to work and even our work lives have been redeemed. So this week, that is my encouragement. I believe in almost every single job out there, there's an element of what God made that was good, cultivating space and relationship and using our gifts and talents. And there's much that he has redeemed, blessings and opportunities to serve and point people toward hope. In your work this week, may you live and serve, not yourself, but the God who has blessed you with the work that he has called you toward. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, in a broken and fallen world, it is so very easy to focus on the negative because that is what we experience. And we all know the frustrations, the difficulties, the thorns and the thistles, the frustrations of work. And it's so easy to be consumed by that with everyone else, to overly focus on our jobs, to be distracted from our relationship with you and from others because of our work. But I pray that you would start to encourage us to, to shift our perspective, 
to see our work as an opportunity to serve you, to grow in our relationship with you, to, image, to bear your image to this world. And I pray that we can redeem our work, that we can point others to the hope and the life that we have in you. Lord, in our frustrations, may they be minimal. And in our participating with you of reclaiming this world, bless that work, we pray. Not only through the work what you have done in your son, but through the presence of your Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.